love you've had for us, Lord, in our health and in, but even more so in our, our salvation. Lord, we ask that of you today in Christ's name. Amen. Well, speaking of healing, you know, we all at some point have to go see a doctor, right? Whether that's through an ER visit, right? Or maybe, uh, maybe it's your annual checkup. You guys have been to do that, right? You go get a physical every year, maybe on your birthday. It's your great birthday gift. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you have to go now and then on a regular visit because maybe you have something ongoing that needs a preventative treatment, okay? The fact is certain, though, that we are all more or less suffering from the disease of sin. And God may or may not heal you of your sickness in this life, but he has provided the cure for our disease of sin that you may endure to eternal life. What a comfort to know that we have such a great physician who is both able and willing to heal us. So let me ask you a question. Let me ask you, when you think of a recent visit to your doctor, what did he or she say that helped you, that encouraged you, that gave you hope? You can speak. Grown-ups, too. Tell me something. Don't make me make up my new story. I have one in my pocket. Anyone? The doctor's knowledgeable about my condition. It's a good thing he was. Anyone? Ian? Get well soon. He told you that? Well, it's good to have a doctor that's hopeful. <laughs> well, okay, fine. You guys are not, uh, maybe you're not awake. Okay, I'm going to awaken you with some laughter here. Now, my dad was in the hospital a few days ago, and I thought one of the most encouraging stories was from his heart doctor. Okay, he was in the hospital because he had to go in. He'd gotten fluid on his body. He needed to get the fluid off the body. He went into the hospital, and here it was, one of those particular nights, his heart doctor was, is known to come by and visit like early in the morning. Talking three or four in the morning when you, know, when you guys are, you wouldn't be ready for this, right? So this guy shows up in the room and dad was asleep. And of course in the hospital, you know, you're usually on your back, especially when you're old. So he's sitting there and he realizes something's close to him, right? You know how that is when you know someone's in your room or something? And he's like, Someone's standing over him all of a sudden, right? So he opens his eyes and his doctor's standing there and it's 3.30 in the morning. Well, he's, he looks up and he points at the doctor. What are you doing here? Well, the doctor points back at him. I'm here to see you. I think that's pretty encouraging. What a doctor would get up that early to come and check on you. He does all his rounds. When we met with the nurse, she described this guy as a guy that normally gets up and visits all his patients at 3 to 6 in the morning. Goes to the office. He prepares for his day. He's there from 8 to 5. 
And from five to eight, he's making calls. She said, and this is his nurse, so this means he's a good doctor, because she said, I don't know when he sleeps. That's amazing. What love, what care. On our passage for tonight, we're going to be looking at not only the great physician, but also the most compassionate one that's ever walked the, the earth. You know, this passage, like I said earlier when I was praying, it, it can become, we can rush over this. And because this kind of passage becomes common to us, we kind of sometimes can roll our eyes at when Jesus heals, you know, he's doing miraculous things. We read it over and over. So today I want you to, to pay special attention. We don't want to miss what's in here today. Now, you may also want to put your finger on Mark 7, okay? Mark 7, chapter 7, verse 31 through 37. You that want to be a scholar, put your finger over there. This is the harmonized passage of the same account. Two different writers, two different little bit perspectives, but they give us all a lot of insight detail. Our theme for tonight, I mean for this morning, see I wrote this, I wrote it for tonight, Wednesday night of course. But for this morning, you may all, um, the theme is going to be Jesus' power to heal shows that Jesus has the power to save. Jesus' power to heal shows that Jesus has the power to save. And as we dive into this passage, it's going to be important that you take with us a few reminders. Again, you know this, I'm going to remind you. Matthew is writing to his Jewish countrymen to present Jesus as the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And it is well documented through all the Gospels and in this account that it's during Jesus' continual tour in all these regions around Galilee. Okay, So verse 29 said, Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. Not an unusual start given from what we know in Matthew 4. Anytime you read Matthew, you guys should go back and read Matthew 4, 23 through 25, because it gives you this, the broad picture about what you're going to read in this whole book. And it says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread through all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. All right, so if you, yep, you're already on the map. You're ahead of me. Way to go. This account is a continuation of what Jesus started in Matthew 4.23. And it starts, as you can see, you can follow the map from the northwest top corner there, that he leaves the cities of Tyre and Sidon, and he heads southeast to the southeast side of Galilee into a region called Decapolis by the Sea of Galilee. How do we know that? In your Mark 7 passage, it indicates to us this information. This is about a 60 to 80 mile trek. Of course, it's not like the roads we have today. This tour is sometimes referred to as the circuit, okay? That region all around Galilee, all this movement that is in and out going on, 
is often referred to as the circuit. Now, it resembles Jesus' continuous movement in and out of the Gentile cities. Important to note is that these Gentile cities were referred to by the Jews as the heathen circle. The heathen circle. Heathen meaning uncivilized Gentiles. If you look it up by definition, it says that it's the unconverted who do not practice Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. That's today's definition. In context, though, in our time, you are a heathen if not converted to Judaism. This is what we're talking about today. However, Jesus' tour of these Gentile cities would reveal that the gospel would be made available to the Jews and the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul was emphatic about himself being given by Christ the priority of the mission to the Gentiles. How do we know that? That's in 1 Timothy 2.7. Now, it says, And having gone up on the mountain, <clears throat> he was sitting there. And it says, After arriving in Decapolis, he went by the Sea of Galilee. Now, it says that Jesus ascended to a higher place, possibly up on a hill. Why do you think that he went up to a higher place? Why do you think he went up to a higher place? To be closer to God? That's, he definitely is going to be closer to God going up higher, right? If God's up. It's good, good thought. Keep it. What else? Why would he go up? Okay. Well, <laughs> most scholars agree that it was so that the multitude could see the miracles, right? But also for the access of the people bringing the sick to get to him, okay? And that on that mountain, he took a seat, it says, and he usually did this with the multitudes. Undoubtedly, you might think the journey would be tiring, yes. But Jesus often took this position because he was ready to teach. He took a rabbinical position, and he took a humble position. He made himself available to minister to the people. He was seated and he was ready for a long day. The large crowds, in verse 30 says, The large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. Now this indicates two kinds of people that came to him. You had the sick and you had those carrying the sick. Let's talk about the large crowds for a minute. Obviously, the size of the crowds were growing over time because the news of the miracles were spreading to all the regions. So in one of these, um, it's one of the reasons that Jesus was going out to the countryside to be out where on the mountain where everyone, where all people could have access to him, to him and avoid going into the city where it would be chaotic and difficult for any, everyone to reach him, much less see him. This shows Jesus' compassion in his reach to the multitudes. He rejected none. Scholars have estimated that these crowds to be around 10,000 or more. When you consider the passage that follows this is the feeding of the 4,000, that number said that that was men alone. 
not including women and children. Now, we don't need to focus on the speculations of the numbers, but one can imagine this was a very large crowd since, since down in verse 32, it said Jesus stated that this crowd had been with him for three days. Three days, thousands of people coming and going to be healed. <clears throat> Isaiah prophesied of the coming of this future. The future, what he, Isaiah called the glory of Zion. It was his description of Jesus, the Messiah to come. And it described how he would heal in Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. And it says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing. <clears throat> These crowds were for sure anxious to bring their loved ones and their friends or anyone who, could, ha who would, could have the opportunity to be healed by Jesus. Wouldn't you be? I mean, put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? Let me ask you a question. In today's world, what would cause you to hesitate hearing such good news? What would cause you to hesitate? Maybe if it was like fake and it was like you didn't want to get led astray, but in this situation it's actually really Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's a good answer. That's kind of what we're looking for. So earmark that, earmark that okay? We're going to kind of come back to this point. You know, the crowds, they came to him. They says they were bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others. And there's a lot we could get into on the different sicknesses, but let's, Let's just be concise here for a moment. Lame is not crippled, but it, it means he has a limp. Crippled refers to any part of the body that is deformed and unable to be used, including mutilation and fully missing body parts. Blind refers to partial and total blindness. Mute is meaning obviously unable to speak, but it could be a physical speech impediment. Or it could be a thing where the mind doesn't give him the words to speak. He can't declare his mind. Now, the category here of many others, <clears throat> this list is not exhaustive, but here are a few that I've pulled out of various texts. Diseases and pains, epileptics, paralytics, plagues, demon-possessed, leprosy, lunatics, those with palsy, which is various types of paralysis, including tremors, including the quivering of the body, like, the, like having the shakes, okay? But the point of these descriptions is to realize the vastness of the infirmities and the power of Christ alone to heal them. You know, doctors today mean well. Don't, don't get me wrong. But they have limited power. Actually, they don't have any power. What they have is knowledge, and they have science, and they have the applied medicine. And we should be grateful for doctors who spend a lot of time in research to help us maintain some quality of life. 
but we should hold them in proper esteem because they're mere men. Only God alone can fully heal supernaturally without medicine or therapies because he is the one who created us. And this truth is strong reason that Jesus is the Messiah as he claims. Who else could do these types of miracles? Now you may recall the woman that Jesus healed that had a flow of blood for 12 years in Matthew 9. You guys would have just covered this a few weeks back. She had suffered, it says, at the hands of many physicians and spent all her money trying to get well. Some of the physicians meant well, but they couldn't cure her. But there were others that were taking advantage of her situation for the easy money. Jesus, on the other hand, is more like the good physician, meaning well. But the difference is he actually has the power to heal completely, irreversibly. Therefore, the crowds came to him. And it says that the crowds, when they brought them, it said, and they laid them down at his feet. The meaning here is that not that they just came and threw them down. Some people have said that. And I would disagree to a point because in the Greek, the translation here, they did come in a hurry. But they came with a want of care. A want of care for their loved ones. And they laid them down at at his feet, leaving them at his disposal without a doubt that he could heal them if he would. And it says at his feet, meaning to consign and to entrust, there you go, to entrust his power and care alone. Other passages of Luke, Luke 7, Luke 8, Luke 10, they show that, that those that recognize that he alone can heal they posture themselves by bowing and kneeling at his feet. See, and the reality is, faith shows forth in knowing your state before a holy God. And in this case, whether they're truly, they truly knew that he was the Messiah, they still postured to him because they knew they had nothing in themselves to heal themselves or anyone else. And so they came as if saying to themselves, He's my only hope. I got to reach him. You can sense the desperation from these people. And it says in verse 30, very simply, he healed them. He cured them, restored them to a normal state of health. You know, we know from the scripture that Jesus did not heal people just to prove his unmatched power. But we know that he first and foremost is a compassionate high priest. That he revealed his deity as the Messiah by the unmatched miracles that he performed. He didn't have to heal them. He wanted to heal them. It was for this purpose that he traveled to this location to heal them. He does nothing not in his plan ever. Now we can be tempted to think that he, if he's so loving, then why doesn't he heal me? Why doesn't he heal my family member or someone close to us? But so that you know, 
that he is loving, I want you to consider Mark 7, 34. It says, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. This deep sigh, it's the same reference in John eleven thirty three when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was truly troubled in his spirit. And it says that when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, Jesus and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. R.C. Sproul said, the outward expression of sorrow did not leave Jesus unmoved. He shed tears in sympathy for the bereaved, those that are suffering from the death of a loved one. Hebrews 4.15 says, speaking of Jesus, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest that does sympathize with us. So we cannot fall into this lie that he doesn't care because he doesn't heal me or my loved ones. We often fall short in our thinking because we want to fit God into our, our plans, how I want my life to be, instead of responding in how God would want me to respond if I truly know who he is and his promises that he's given us in his holy word. <clears throat> Jesus absolutely cares but it doesn't mean he will always give you what you think you should have or need. It should become more clear as we go through this lesson that healing our diseases are not his main priority. Okay? Not only do we see his compassion, but we come to understand that he healed the crowd as a sign of his true identity, the Messiah. You know, often the question following whether healing one person or the multitudes was the question if he was the Messiah or not. <clears throat> the, to the identity, really, of you hear the word, this man. The people were wondering if he was the Messiah or not. In Matthew 12, 23 we covered, it talked about the healing of the blind and the mute man. And the people, it said, were amazed. And they, they threw this question, this, cannot, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? They knew the Messiah was to come because he was going to be from the lineage of David. The expectation, though, was that he would be a, what, a conquering king, right? He's going to destroy the enemies of Israel and then will rule over everything. Not some compassionate man just bringing, you know, healing to many people. But the miracles are undeniable. Jesus warned, and be warned with this if you're not in faith. Jesus warned in John 10, 37 through 38. Let me read this passage to you. John said that if, this was Jesus speaking, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in Him. You see, He's saying, you, well, you may not believe from me, 
But you're, you can't deny your eyes. You cannot deny what you're seeing. Don't lie to yourself. That's hypocrisy. Okay? So in verse 31, it said, And so the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. You know, I don't know if you can think of this in your mind, but one can imagine as one, one after another, after another, after another, three days of this, over and over and over, right? Those were coming up there sick, going down, healed. Going up sick, coming down, healed. I think we start to wrap our minds around such a scene over and over. But these transformations were foretold in Isaiah that we read earlier. Literally, before their eyes, evidences of a supernatural restoration and only associated with this man, Jesus. They look at Jesus. They see the sick come up. They see him, them healed and go down. They see Jesus over and over like this. And it says that they marveled with this, meaning this was like nothing ever seen before. I don't want to say duh, but that, you know, trying to get ourselves there is very difficult. But this is what they saw. And it, they ex expressed it and it was amazing themselves beyond measure. They never saw anything like this. They were overcome with great amazement, astonished beyond measure. They were asking questions like, what is this? What new teaching is this? They were greatly astonished. Matthew 12 said that the multitudes were amazed and they said, could this be the son of David? Ah, they're starting not just to be amazed, but wonder who has this power? Who is this man? <clears throat> MacArthur says this very well. I love the way he wrote this out. He said, none of the gospel writers gives details of the healings. He, we're simply told that he healed them. But it is not hard to imagine the cries for help that mingled with shouts of joy as they came to Jesus diseased and deformed while others were leaving healthy and whole. People who were sick went away cured. People who came blind and deaf went away seeing and hearing. People who had never spoken a word were now shouting praises to Jesus. People who had never walked a step were jumping and running for joy. It is hardly surprising that the multitudes marveled as they saw the mute speaking and the crippled restored and the lame walking and the blind seeing. <clears throat> and they not only marveled they were astonished, and it said it turned to praise. And it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now, how in the world did they come to this response? You know, this is something more than just happiness and excitement. This has the aroma of reverence and awe. Not like the Pharisees who were stiff-necked and were rejecting it, they were not wanting to say they saw it with their eyes. Right? But here, 
they were being thankfulness. They were connecting their thankfulness to Jesus. Though they might not fully understand who he was, they knew from the reports that he was Jewish, and the news that was circulating about him was enough for them to direct their thankfulness and praise to the God of Israel. This mirrored the same reaction when Jesus healed the paralytic in Matthew 9. It said that, but when the crowds saw this, they were awestruck. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Okay? <clears throat> One more note with MacArthur here. He said that knowing that their pagan gods could not perform such marvels and would not have been inclined to perform them if they could, the people from Decapolis glorified the God of Israel. So let me insert a little warning here, okay? Speaking, go back a little bit to what we talked about. Speaking of um, the pagan gods that could not perform such miracles, you know, we see this in a slightly different way today. How many of you are familiar with the prosperity gospel? few hands okay what does it say what does it say tell me you know it you raise your hand what does it say give us money and you'll succeed okay that's prosperity let's talk about health and wealth that's he got the wealth give me some health go same thing give us money you'll be healthy okay <laughs> not not that difficult if you just have faith he will heal you right if he can make you rich if you just believe, one of the dangers today is people falling into the trap of this false teaching. Truly, this is a false gospel. These people take great liberty with Scripture to twist it to fit their message. Their basic message is you must have faith to be healed or be wealthy, what y'all said. If I may simplify, what they're saying is give us money and God will heal you because... That is faith in action, and it pleases God, and he will in turn heal you, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That sounds pretty enticing, right? A very dangerous message if you don't know the scripture. For their message to be accepted, they must try to convince people that the gift of healing still exists. Now, I recall... When the COVID pandemic was getting started, you know, we were all coming home, all of us, right? Schools are out, you know, everybody's shut down situation. <clears throat> I was listening in to Mark MacArthur one day when just when that happened, and he gave a message about, he was going to talk a little bit about the situation, all that was going on. But before he started, he said, I want to ask a question, though, before I start. And he, this is what he said. Where are the healers where are the healers it's a great question sure there were some laughs y'all didn't laugh but there were some laughs but the reality is a serious issue they disappeared they were like the cockroaches when you turn the light on they're gone it's that serious though they're gone they don't have the truth Many, uh, many believers have been confused by these types of false gospels. So it's helpful to see how faith today relates to our health. 
Considering our passage tonight, a couple questions arise when we look at the healing of people and the crowds in the Bible. Questions like this. Did all the people that were healed have faith? In other words, were they all saved who were healed? Were the ones carrying them to Jesus saved too? You know, our passage does not directly answer these questions, but it does give us some crumbs to follow to the place to answer these questions. When it says that he healed them, the word healed in the Greek here is therapeo. This is where we get our word therapy, obviously. He restored their health. It was really his service to them. Um, no mention of faith is involved, is, is mentioned to be involved, though we're not ruling it out. But we have other examples in the Bible where the person's faith was part of the healing. Now, we touched this earlier regarding the woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years, and Jesus healed her. Now, in that passage, Jesus said to her, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. It should first hit us that he called her daughter. Because that shows that she is his, saved, redeemed by that pronouncement. But we don't want to stop there. We go further. We need to zoom in on the words, your faith has made you well. Here's where the twist comes if you don't exegete the scriptures rightly. The key word in this account is faith and well. In the Greek translation, we would render the meaning of faith here would be Possessing a confidence, in, whether in God or in Christ. The meaning of the word well, sozo, saved from perishing, saved from sin. You put those together, you have confidence in God that he will save you from your sin, right? And pertaining to this woman, the woman had confident faith in Jesus that he alone could save her from perishing, both physically and spiritually. MacArthur said that, but no one is ever saved apart from faith. And there seems reason to believe that the woman who touched Jesus' garment that day trusted him for spiritual as well as physical healing. The two things that bring men and women to Jesus Christ are deep felt personal need, and genuine faith. And the woman with the flow of blood had both. The point? Faith doesn't guarantee you'll be healed. But faith does guarantee you'll be saved. Now, as far as the prosperity gospel goes, you can go read our church's position, and I want to encourage you to do that. You should go online at our website and look under the NBC doctrine. You, even at your age, you can do this. You need to go and do it. Get familiar with what you believe. But in that, uh, under the NBC doctrine, under the heading, the church, you can reach the information about our position on healing. Okay, lastly, to wrap up, it would be important for us to step back. You can go to the next one there. On the, um, it would be important to step back and look at the big picture of this passage and what it highlights. This passage is so often, as I said, rushed over, and we miss the little details that point us to the overarching 
message of Jesus' active service of healing and was his way to reveal his, himself as the Messiah. You know, the fact is we're all prone to worry more about our physical conditions than our spiritual condition. You know, Jesus is aware of this tendency. Jesus, in his compassion for the crowds, took this concern for their health to demonstrate that, he, that they might see that if he had the power to heal all their diseases, he also has the power to save their souls from hell. This little account reflects God's larger picture of his saving grace. John 3.16 and 17 said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. And John in verse 17, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Jesus left the right hand of the father and he went to that heathen circle here, earth, to provide a way of escape from sin and death. And now many are coming to him to be healed and forgiven. He extends this same invitation to, to you today. Everybody wants to be healed, but they... They do not see that their sins have separated them from a holy God, as Isaiah has warned us. Jesus came to conquer sin in our place, that we might be forgiven of our sins and escape eternal judgment and enjoy everlasting life with Him. Romans 5.8 says the, that, that God demonstrates His love for us, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, the ultimate healing took place as Jesus suffered in mine and your place. The death we deserved, he took on himself at the cross to rescue us from the bondage of sickness and sin and death. 1 Peter 3.8 says that for Christ died for sin once for, the, for, the righteous, for, for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And he was put to death in the body and alive by the Spirit. And just let's say that all praise and glory to God for his grace and mercy is the gift of his son, Jesus the Messiah. You know, in closing, I, you recall I mentioned two people two kinds of people, the sick and those that carried the sick. If you've not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are like the sick, in need of true healing that can only come from turning your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're here today and you have trusted in Christ, you're now like the one carrying the sick. See? You're to continue to point and take people to Christ through the gospel for their true healing and for their only hope of eternal life. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for this uh, encouraging time together. Encouragement in your word. Lord, that we can know that you may not you may not heal us in this life, but that that's not to be our, our main focus. We're, we're to be people that realize we're in, we deserve death, but you've given us life eternal through Jesus Christ. Lord, may you uh, help us live following you, looking to carry others to you with the message of hope that's only in the gospel. Lord, help us to not look at this passage the same anymore when we see it. May it give us hope when we think upon the the privilege and the grace that you've had on us to to be called yours, just like the woman that was healed. We are sons and daughters. We're so thankful. And we pray this in the Messiah's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Preston. Very encouraging, my brother. All right, listen up. So eventually, starting in November, um, on Wednesday, you're going to be assigned a small group, okay? And we're the small group leader. And that'll be your small group leader for the rest of the year, okay? And so the, the, the idea is, sermon, we'll have small group afterwards on Wednesdays with that group. And then the thing, the same will happen on Sunday mornings, where we'll have the teaching, the sermon, the lesson. And then we'll have, that's why I extended it to 1015. Today, we'll go until 10. But starting in November, our small group will go from 9 to 10.15 to have that small group again with your small group leader here on Sunday mornings. What we're going to do for the next 10 minutes, I have a couple of questions that I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you the question. I want you, I'm going to give you some time to think about it. Then just within your proximity, talk about the answer. And then I'm going to see who, can, who wants to share what you shared right there and then. Very, very informal, okay? So my first question is, how many of you know that we have a high view of God and a high view of Scripture in our church? Right? How many of you know that sometimes in our lives we struggle sometimes and we don't give God a high view of Scripture? And, a, and, and we don't give God his high view that he deserves and we give ourselves, we have a high view of man. How does that happen? My question to you is, how many times when you're going through difficulties, how many times when you're going through difficulties, do you go to God for what he can do for you, or do you go to God for who he is? Very different. Think about the question. How many times do you go to God when you're going through a hard circumstances, uh, a, 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 a sickness, you know, parents fighting, you're fighting with your brothers and sisters, things at school, book, any hard situations. How many of you actually go to God for what he can do for you Instead of going to God for who he is. And what I mean by that, for his sovereignty. Knowing that he's in control of the situation. Alright, go ahead and think about it. Don't talk yet. Think about it. Do I go to God for who he is? Or what what I can get out of God? Or do I really go to God because, alright, this is my circumstance. And what what do you want to teach me through this? And give me the strength to, to do your will. Those are the questions. We call that the awkward silence, but it's important because you need to meditate on these questions. Now, go ahead and speak to your neighbor about what what you just thought about. 
and just leaders just go around, you know, hear what's going on. Talk to your to your nearby friends. Right. 
So how do we pray for someone who's sick? Let's say Lane's bar fight for three days. How do you pray trust you in the situation, that their, their, their mind can, can be, have peace because God does not promise health, wealth, or prosperity, but he does promise peace in the middle of our trials, that they can have peace. These are spiritual prayers, spiritual, the way you should pray for when someone is sick. Because, again, is the Lord not in control of everything, every, every good and bad? Does the Lord work through all good and all bad? Who are we to say to the Lord, and this is pride, this is like, no, Lord, I think it's best that this happens because I know more than you. No, it's like, Lord, let, Lord, let your will be done. And forgive us the strength to do so. Last one. Do you only glorify God for the big? Do you only glorify God for the big? What I mean is these people saw a lot of the big, right? And they were like, Woo! wow, Lord, yes. I, I can just imagine this, the scene. All these sick going and all these people coming down. They, they had a wheelchair at the time with their wheelchair. Now they're walking, carrying their wheelchair. All these people who have physical deformities, normal again. All that. Can you just imagine? Right? Everyone's glory. Oh, God is great. God is good. And he deserves that glory at that moment. But is that the only time we should glorify God? Only in the big? Go ahead and discuss that question. <laughs> Yeah. 
salvation in Jesus Christ. I mean, we were running towards hell, like literally running towards hell. The Lord saved us. He gave us eternity with Him. Now think about this. At, would you consider that right there at, at that point, that's enough? Like, for the rest of our lives, that would be enough? But no, no, He does, He allows us to be born in America. He allows us to have air conditioning. He allows us to worship in a building like this. He allows us to live in neighborhoods like this. On top of His grace, which is enough. He gives us all these other things that we just sometimes tend to ignore or be ungrateful for because of our human heart. But we have to be remembered that all of this is reason to give glory to God. Because other people don't have that. They don't have salvation. That's why we come in to preach. And they don't have all the other blessings that we have. And don't ever underestimate. Those deserve to be to glorify God immensely, just as somebody would get healed from a from a wheelchair. Especially praying for your unbelief, unbelieving family members. What's the biggest miracle you can ever give or you can ever pray for? Right? Amen. All right. Well, guys, thank you very much for your time. Take your chairs, please, with you down. 
And I'll see you guys on Wednesday.